So as we've done in past summers, well, it's great to be back, by the way. It's good to see all of you. Um, We're going to turn tonight to the book of the Psalms, and we'll spend the next several weeks here. We've done this um, repeatedly throughout the history of Church of the Cross and spent some time in the summer in the Psalms. And these are, this is a compilation of prayers and songs um, that have been forming the people of God for literally thousands of years, the Psalms have. They're the most quoted book of the Bible, or of the Old Testament, in the New Testament. So the New Testament quotes the Psalms more than any other book. They feature significantly in Jesus' own self-understanding of his ministry. And um, they help us learn how to pray. And they help us learn how to be honest with God. The Psalms give us a range of emotions and experiences and situations which are brought before the Lord in prayer. So the Psalms are the best school that we have for how to pray. And prayer is something that I want to see us grow in as a community at Church of the Cross. So the Psalms are always a good place to spend some time. Uh, I've shared with you before that for years, part of my devotional practice has been to read through the Psalms once a month. It's not original in terms of an idea, but it's something many people have done throughout the history of the church. And, uh, and it's been incredibly important, this book has, in shaping my own spiritual life. And I would commend that to all of you as well as we spend some time in the Psalms. So just open up the Psalms and begin to read them. You'll never regret spending time in the Psalms. They will shape you and form you. So tonight we're going to dive into Psalm 81, which we read earlier, and step back and look at two fundamental issues that this psalm gives to us. First is something about our relationship to God, and then there's second, something we'll see about God himself. So that's the plan. Um, So first, our relationship to God. What do we see in this psalm? So if you've got your Bible, open up to Psalm 81. The bulk of this psalm is in the form of a plea from God to his people. And at the heart of the plea is an urging that God, from God who, who asks his people to listen to him. So verse 8, hear, O my people, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Um, verse 10 um, <clears throat> or 11, uh, my people didn't listen to me. Verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, and so on. This is the heart, the cry, and accompanying this plea is a reminder both a reminder and a promise in Psalm 81. The the reminder, which comes in verses 6 and 7, is that our very life depends upon God himself. So verses 6 and 7, the psalmist remembers the exodus and the deliverance of God's people from Egypt and slavery. And that's the reminder. God rescued you, so listen to me. The promise, in terms of the heart to, to the plea for us to listen... The promise is that there will be blessing, satisfaction, and protection, verses 10 and then 14 through 16, for those who do listen to me. So God's pleading with Israel to listen, to follow him, and saying, remember I rescued you, so remember what's happened, you owe your life to me, and then hear that I will bless you as you listen to me. So there's a past orientation and a future orientation that go to encouraging the people of God to listen to him. But, verse 11, they don't listen. Israel does not listen. So it says, verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Now, we could hear in this passage, because there is a bit of a recounting of the Exodus story, the famous incident with the golden calf. Uh, They've been told not to have any other gods before Yahweh, and then they produced this golden calf. We could look at the whole history of Israel and realize they didn't listen to God very well. They constantly went back to their own ways. They, they forget their dependence 
and they reject the promise. They forget what's been in the past, that they've been dependent, and they reject what's promised in the future. And the reason they do this is the reason we do it as well, is we think we can come up with a better way of managing our own affairs and figuring out how life is supposed to work and finding blessing. We can find a better future on our own terms. And so Israel, like us, turns to our own way. This is Isaiah 53, a verse many of you will know. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So here's the question that this psalm presents to us today. Will we listen? Will we listen to God's voice? This, I would put to you, is the fundamental battle inside the human heart. And it's been this way from the very beginning. Genesis 3, the serpent, says to Adam and Eve, did God really say, really says it to Eve, did God really say? And the temptation of humanity is always this temptation to autonomy, to a sense of self-governance, to a sense of of self-reliance outside of the one who created or made us. And that's always been the case in Genesis 3, the very beginning of human history, but it's also the case, especially I would say right now in our moment in in the world, that autonomy or the right to self-determination is in fact the golden calf of our day and age. The chapter or the passage that uh, Jonathan read for us in the Old Testament from Jeremiah 35, in this chapter 34 and 35 of Jeremiah is is a section that's about listening to God. And it's about Israel rejecting God's voice, doing something different. The passage that we heard from was about this people who had listened to the voice of their father who told them not to drink wine, so they hadn't drank wine all these years. But God's kind of saying, look, they listened to that command, but you won't even listen to me. And so he's upset with his people. Um, One scholar writes about this text, quote, to listen is to resist autonomy. These chapters in Jeremiah speak eloquently against the ideology of autonomy so powerful in modernity, against our notions of holding initiative for our life and our mistaken notion of being self-starters. Our refusal to have our life given or derived from another is a core pathology of our time. Indeed, the summons to listen is for us a summons to break with the most fundamental presuppositions of modernity. This call to listen breaks our quest to be autonomous. And it is the the listening call is the the defining mark or feature, if you will, of the people of God. It's what makes us who we are. We're the called out people, the ones who hear the word and respond. The deeper issue behind this idea of not listening or of pursuing autonomy is really our answer to the question of what will satisfy us. The big lie that we all encounter is that God is a killjoy. God, at least God as he's portrayed by the church and filtered through traditional morality or whatever it might be, is actually a God who's out to repress your true self. So the big secret then that we've discovered is that happiness is found not through constraint of our lives, but through self-expression. Anything that would constrain us is a barrier to happiness. What we really need to do is what we want to do, what we see as right for doing. Uh, Ayn Rand said, quote, that an error made on your own is safer than 10 truths accepted on faith. Giving us a window into that desire for independence and autonomy that modernity has staked its claim for life and blessing upon. 
But obviously the psalm and the whole scriptures has a very different perspective on this cultural truth. Okay, metaphor for just a second. Classic situation in a lot of movies. You're in an airplane, the pilot passes out, and you've got to get in the cockpit and figure out how to land the plane, right? That's a just kind of cliched situation. So take that as a metaphor for a moment to say that we're actually in the cockpit, if you will, and we don't know how to control the plane. And God's word and God's direction to us, God is, if you will, the guy in the proverbial air traffic control tower radioing back up to the cockpit, kind of telling us how to land the plane, um, that God's word is what enables us to bring the plane to a safe landing. Yeah, bear with the cheesiness of this, please. Um, God's point, and, and, we, and the funny thing is, so we, we think we're in, we think we're, we're, we're like doing great. That's, that's the, we think that we're flying this thing beautifully, you know, doing figure eights and loops, and we're going to make a great landing. We actually don't always realize when we're on our own that we're headed for a crash landing. But the point of, in Psalm 81, my point of going through the metaphor is in verse 12, what God says when, when he says, my people didn't listen to me. He says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. The implication of this is that when we shut off the voice of God, when we stop listening to him, that there will be a crash landing every time. Even if we don't think so. Even if we don't experience that crash right in the moment. The the implication is God says, I'm going to turn you over to follow the counsel of your own ways. The Proverbs put it like this, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. This is actually what we read about. I wouldn't be surprised if Psalm 81 was in the back of Paul's mind in Romans, when he writes the words from Romans 1. This is what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desi- the sinful desires of their hearts, and so on and so forth. Three times in Romans 1, Paul says, God handed them over, or God gave them over. And the reason he says that God, that, that God gave them over is because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. So at the heart, that lie that we've exchanged the truth for is the lie that God is a burden. And if we come to believe that lie, then this psalm tells us that God will let us feel in many ways the consequences of that lie. The folly of our own not listening. Now, I, I know that sounds harsh. I mean, that's what the psalm says, is God's going to hand us over. And it does sound harsh, but I want you to understand that God handing us over like that, letting us crash land the plane, is actually a kind of mercy. It's actually a kind of love for his creatures. By, by letting us feel the burden of life outside of our dependency upon him. By letting us feel the consequences of life lived autonomously. Life lived as self-sufficient creatures. And in feeling that, then being drawn back to him and his mercy and his grace and his love. So at the heart of the biblical understanding of faith, as we see in Psalm 81, is the fact of listening to God. That we're called to listening to God. It's it's actually no wonder then that the most well-known revelation of God is referred to as the words. So, for example, the Ten Commandments in Hebrew is just the ten words. These words have to be spoken. It's interesting, actually, in verses 9 and 10, where it says, There shall be no strange God among you. 
You shall not bow down to a foreign god. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That that's a loose paraphrase of the opening lines of the Ten Commandments. No surprise that we find that in a, in a psalm that's urging us to listen to God. So the ten words need to be listened to. And then God's greatest revelation, obviously, his son Jesus, referred to as the word who was with God in the beginning. The eternal word who speaks and reveals God to us. These things imply that we're called to listen. The gospel reading from Mark 9 tonight, the father's voice from the heavens declares, this is my beloved son. And then what? Listen to him. Listen to him. People of faith, people who know that our lives depend on hearing from God, are people who know this. That's what it means to have faith. And really, it's a huge blessing to us as creatures that God speaks at all. It's a wonderful mercy and grace that God opens his mouth and speaks. Before we get to the second point about God himself, which will balance in some ways what I said was a little bit harsh about God handing us over. I, I want to just explore for a second, how do we listen? So if God is urging us in this psalm to listen to him and bring satisfaction and blessing to our lives, how do we listen? Three things I'll just give, sketch out here briefly. And each of these is informed by the spirit of God at work in our lives. First is we're a people of God's word, communally and personally. That is this These scriptures that God uses to teach us and inform us and instruct us. To form his life inside of us as his people. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's one of the main reasons that we gather here week after week is to hear the scriptures read and preached. And believing in so doing that we'll be shaped to be more like him. It's actually these words, the words of Scripture, that teach us again and again about our dependency, about our creatureliness, our need, which is so important and keeps us away from the trap toward, of moving toward autonomy. The Bible encourages us this. I find it really interesting that the three biggest places, the three most significant movements of God in the biblical word, one is creation, and after God creates us, he then gives us a command. Don't eat from the tree of the fruit, from from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second big movement is God's rescue of the people in in the Exodus, which we've been looking at a little bit here. And after the Exodus, God takes them to the mountain to Sinai and speaks the ten words and says, Now I want you to listen to my voice and hear me. The third big movement in the biblical text, the climax, is the sending of Jesus into the world to usher in the kingdom and to bring salvation. To God's world. And at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, just before he ascends in Matthew 28, he says, look, I want you to go and baptize. That is to give people the gift of new life through the salvation that I've come to bring. And then I want you to teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. Creation, redemption in the Exodus, redemption in Jesus. These big movements of God always followed by God speaking. But each of these three moments remind us as his people that we are utterly dependent upon him for life. We couldn't create ourselves. We couldn't get out of the slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. And we couldn't bring about our own new birth in the spiritual realm through the spirit as God has done in Jesus for us. 
So it's the scriptures as they teach us of God's movement, of God's actions, that remind us of our dependency, which drive us again to a posture of listening in our lives. And my hope is that in the year to come at Church of the Cross, that we'll very clearly be a people of God's word, a people who love the word, who study the word together and alone, who pursue knowledge of God through his word, that this book will be a place of hearing. So that's hearing through the word. We also hear and listen to God by being a people of prayer, by having this kind of lifeline of communion with God. And obviously most of us really struggle with this. But the reality is that God speaks today. We don't believe that God only speaks through this biblical word. We believe that God can speak to us directly today. We also believe that as he does that, it never contradicts what he's put in this biblical word. A quick story on that one about... I guess 17 years ago now, I had a dream. Now, I'm not, most of you know me, I don't normally talk about dreams and visions, but I did have God speak to me once in a dream. I dreamed, Mandy and I were newly married, we were living in a small town in Colorado, and I dreamed that one of her close friends moved to our small town in Colorado to be near us. I've shared this with you before. And I woke up that morning and I said, Mandy, I had this dream and I think you should call your friend and tell her to move to Buena Vista, Colorado. And within about three weeks, she was living in Buena Vista, Colorado, where she eventually then met her husband. And uh, they still live in Colorado today. It kind of changed her life and it changed ours. God speaks in that. Now, just about a year ago, I had another dream with her husband and we were traveling on the moon. I don't know where that's going to go. I hope it wasn't God's revelation and speaking. But it is true that God can speak personally to us in all kinds of ways today and that to be a people who long to listen we need to be a people of prayer who commune with him and give him time to speak to us the third thing just in terms of how do we hear God is community and real relationships and we talk a lot about that at Church of the Cross that this is a place that's no better than the relationships that we have with one another that that's where God really meets us and one of the reasons that relationships are so important for listening to God for hearing him is because of our high capacity for self-deception. It is so easy for us to think that we're on the right path. It's so easy for us to be blind to the areas where we're actually prideful or greedy or over-busy, and we don't need to be. And we desperately need people in our lives, people that are sitting around you right now who love us, who have God's interests in mind for us, who would speak boldly and plainly the truth in love to us that we might hear God's truth and grow to be like him more and more. Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need that kind of wounding from one another to direct us. We have triads at Church of the Cross, these small groups of three people of the same sex that meet together weekly to encourage and speak the truth to one another in an intimate context where we can do that in a way that we can't actually hear. So the word, prayer, community, not saying anything that's, that's new here, but just reminding us that when God pleased with us to listen to him, that we want to be therefore in the word, in prayer, and in community in order that we can hear him and receive the blessing that hearing him brings. Now hearing isn't just about hearing. And I won't go on about this, but it's also about doing, and it's about doing what we hear. Verse 13 says, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Jesus summarizes, Jesus um, speaks in very similar terms at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew or the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. 
when he says, I'll show you what he is like, um, the man who hears my words and does not put them into practice, like the one who builds his house on the sand. But the man who hears my words and does put them into practice is like the one who builds his house on the rock. So we have to understand that when God pleads with his people to listen to him, he's not just wanting us to hear and then move on about it, but it's a, a listening that, that entails obedience. It entails action and following. Now, I said there's a second point. So that's, the second point is just about God. And, and this ties into the first one about listening and our quest for autonomy and moving back instead to dependency by listening to God in his word and in prayer and in community. This psalm amazes me. And I hope it will amaze you in some ways. I hope you'll read the psalm again tonight before you go to bed. It amazes me because of what it shows us about the God that we're called to listen to. God reminds them that he's rescued them. And then he admonishes them. And it's as if God is, he, he is, he's pleading with his people. Verse 8, hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Open your mouth wide, he says, and I will fill it. Then in verse 11, but my people didn't listen. So I gave them over. Verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. And then I would subdue her enemies. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. That is to say, God in this psalm has been rebuffed. God has been rejected. God has been dishonored, disrespected. The God who created them, the God who rescued them, the God who provided all that they needed on their wilderness journeys has been rejected by their rebellion, by their longing for autonomy, by their forgetfulness about their own dependency. And yet, and this is what's so amazing about the God that's at the heart of the Christian faith, and this is why we have good news to offer to the city of Boston, and this is why you don't ever have to be ashamed to claim the name of Jesus in your life in this city. Because God is a God who nonetheless, having been rejected, continues to pursue his people, continues to run after us, continues to offer to us blessing and satisfaction. I would feed you, he says, with the finest of wheat. You're you're filling yourself on the pods that pigs eat from in your autonomy. And yet God is sitting there saying, come back to me and listen to me. And as you do so, I'll feed you and I'll satisfy you and I'll nourish you in the ways that you long to be nourished and fed. And his love for his people, his love for his creatures warms us and compels us as his children to listen to him even more because of who he shows himself to be. Obviously, the greatest example of God's pursuit and of you and of me is his sending of his son, Jesus, where we read in Romans 5 that Paul says, even while we were still enemies, while we were in the midst of rebelling and rejecting and turning our backs on this God who'd offered us life and abundance and grace, Christ died for us. Christ went to the cross for you 
and for me, for the ones who had stopped up our ears and run our own way, God nonetheless enters in and gives his life in order that we might have the very life that we were seeking in our autonomy. And calls us to himself. It's that above anything else. It's the nature of God revealed in this psalm and revealed most of all in the sending of Jesus to the cross for you and for me. A God of love and grace and compassion and mercy who never stops pursuing you that compels us to listen more than anything else. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Let's listen to this amazing God that we serve. Amen.